We need to increase family engagement. I hear this all the time. We know what we want from families, but do we know what families want from us? Today's episode will take us beyond reading rallies and pizza nights, and even beyond my favorite parent event, Donuts for Dads. Today, we focus on what teachers can do to build stronger parent partnerships and how school leaders can support those partnerships. Hello, colleagues, and welcome to the Assistant Principal Podcast. I'm your host, Frederick Buskey. The goal of this podcast is to help improve the life and leadership for assistant principals. This podcast complements APEX, the Assistant Principal Acceleration Program, but you certainly don't need to be an APEX member to find value in the podcast. Today, I'm joined by Leanne Alford-Keith, the Senior Administrator for the Northern Area Superintendent in Wake County Public School System in Raleigh, North Carolina. That's a, that's a mouthful. Leanne is here with us today to help us become better partners with parents. Hello, Leanne. Hi, I'm so glad to be here with you today. Yeah, can, we're excited to have you. Can you tell us briefly how you got to where you are today? Absolutely. I um, am a former uh, high school civics teacher um, in Wake County Schools in the Raleigh area um, and a former um, high school assistant principal. In my current work um, as a senior administrator for the area superintendent, I support schools with professional learning and with preparation for school leaders and with school improvement specifically. And so I became interested originally in family engagement work as a teacher. And then as I was working on school improvement in my current role, saw how we could use family engagement as an important lever for school improvement. And so I made that the focus of my doctoral disquisition, which is like a dissertation at Western Carolina University in the Ed Leadership Program. And so the research that we'll be chatting about today was part of my study in that program. Okay, great. And I guess full disclosure, my, my wife, doctor, the other Dr. Buskey is on your committee, which is how we connected. Um, but she came back to me and she said, Frederick, you really have to talk to Leanne. She's got some great things going on. So that's the connection. And we're excited to have you here. We always like to start with a celebration. So what are you celebrating today? Um, today, I am celebrating um, a very exciting learning walk opportunity that we have planned for some of our schools on uh, Thursday. It's going to be an opportunity for us to visit classrooms at different schools that I work with and see students learning. And I'm really excited about it because we have not been able to do as much instructional work like that as we've been dealing with the managerial aspects of the pandemic more recently. So I'm very excited to resume some of that instructional work. Uh, that's, that is exciting. Um, I, I always like to keep track of having guests on and maybe that's another one learning walks for assistant principals might be great. Sure. So the podcast is built around the principles of strategic leadership, prioritizing purpose over urgency, addressing problems, not symptoms, driving incremental progress rather than big change and focusing on people instead of tasks. Today's topic touches every one of those principles, and I'm going to expand on why before I turn the show over to you. Purpose over urgency. I think we get focused on the idea of family engagement, and we know what we want from family engagement, but we miss the mark on the, per on the purpose of family engagement. 
This is about the school serving the families, not the families serving the school. And we sometimes forget that. In terms of problems instead of symptoms, the apparent lack of family engagement is a symptom. And again, the problem I think is the lack of a real partnership and that's on us. Progress over action, we can get focused on doing events and events are great, but do they really lead to lasting changes that improve the situation? I think today's show will yield some small practices that can make a long-term improvement. And if you, the assistant principal, finish today's show with one concrete thing that you can implement now, then this will be a win. The fourth principle of strategic leadership is people over tasks. Again, when we think about events, we're focusing on tasks. Partnerships are first and foremost about working with people in ways that grow all the participants. Okay, Leanne, I hope I've teed this up for you. I've purposely talked about partnerships as opposed to engagement because it implies a paradigm shift. So let's begin there and then move to the barriers to establishing partnerships um, and then what you've done to help teachers in Wake to, do, um, to be better partners. And, and of course, the things that you found in the research. And then finally, we'll close with some very specific things that assistant principals can do to foster stronger partnerships with families. Sound good? Yeah, that'll be great. Okay, so why are we better off thinking about families as partners than as resources? Yes, absolutely. So it's very important to think about families as partners because first and foremost, we need to be addressing power dynamics that are present in the ways that our schools are set up. And so when we focus on events and when we focus on what we could do for families instead of what families can do for us, then we are perpetuating the typical power dynamics of a school. And that that excludes a lot of our diverse families, most especially, um, but also any families that have scheduling barriers or other types types of challenges. Um, And so it's really important that we focus on what families can actually provide for our schools. And, And just to give one example, you know, Culturally relevant instruction is important um, to all of us now as instructional leaders and something we want to provide for our children. But we know that our workforce is not diverse enough and does not reflect the diversity of our students. Well, I can tell you who does reflect the diversity of our students, and that is their parents. And so as we want to provide culturally relevant instruction, but we don't necessarily know about their cultures and their families do know about their cultures. So if we engage their families as part and there is information available to us, um, information that the family has about the way that their children learns or what is culturally important to them, that is not information that we are able to have on our own. So if we aren't seeing families as partners, we're missing out on some really important information that could help us better educate their children. That's powerful. I, I love that leading with power dynamics. Think that's one for us to to easily forget um, how much authority comes with being the classroom teacher or being an assistant principal. Even if we sometimes feel that people aren't respecting that authority, that office does mean something. And then and then building relationships. And you know, we're so many times we end this podcast and I say, what's the one thing that you want to leave this podcast with? And relationships, 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 and and understanding that the better we understand the family by by working with parents, 
that helps us build a relationship with them, but also with our kids and to connect in ways that maybe are deeper than, hey, nice ball game on Saturday. That's right. And we saw some of this when we were forced into virtual learning and all of a sudden the home was the classroom and we were on Zoom or Google Meet and seeing the families and the families are seeing us. Um, we were forced into some of that. And, and, you know, some examples of teachers that I've worked with of things that they found really powerful were like, for instance, knowing how certain parents correct their children. So when they came back into the building for in-person instruction, like this child is used to be talking to in a way that is very stern, or this child is used to being redirected in a way that is very soft. Like that type of information um, can be really helpful for a teacher in knowing how best to reach a student. Wow, great example. So how does a real partnership benefit families? How does it benefit students? And then how does it benefit teachers? Yes, so the benefit to families is that they feel invested in the school. They feel the school respects them and the knowledge that they have with their students. And they feel like they can be advocates, which that's what every parent wants to do. Every parent wants to advocate for their child, but sometimes they don't necessarily feel that the school has set up avenues that are acceptable for them to do that in a way that isn't um, confrontational. And so that's really appreciated by families. Then for students, the benefit is really, in fact, that partnership and taking that sort of whole child approach. You know, we talk a lot about social emotional learning and the whole child, but the whole child includes the family. And so it really is about being on the same side and not seeing one another as, as adversaries, but rather as allies, because we all do want the same thing. We want the child to be successful and we want the child to reach their full potential and educators and families all want that same goal. And so the benefit for the student is that they have allies who surround them and are seeking to provide what's best for them in partnership. And then the benefit for the teachers is is the first thing that I said, knowing things that families know about kids that we won't know unless we have a relationship about families, including important cultural things. But the other benefit for teachers is that it um, research tells us that effective family engagement increases teachers' efficacy, and they feel that they are better able to do their jobs. And we know that efficacy is something that many of us are focused on building for teachers right now because the pandemic has been so challenging for all educators. And so we know that this is something that could build efficacy because you, teachers have more tools and more partners available to do their work and help them build more successful. That That's a lot. And that's some, some really, um, I think, valuable things to unpack. And I want to jump on when you talk about advocacy. And as a former special ed coordinator, I was used to seeing parents and building level leaders really be at odds. And one of the things that I tried to help our assistant principals and principals understand is that, you know, when parents come in and, and they're combative, they are advocating for their kid and they're doing what they think they should be doing as parents. And it may not be the way we would like them to. It may not be the way we would handle it. But if we can see those actions as advocacy, then we're flipping the script from this is an angry, you know, uneducated parent to this is a parent who really cares about their kid, which okay. I think then 
really makes it easier to look at partners, uh, look at parents as being partners. If, if I understand that sometimes some of the difficult conversations really are, are about advocacy. And if the parents in there complaining, that means they care. And, yes. and so I love that. Allies and sometimes, yeah, I'll add also, sometimes the parents um, come to us in a combative way because of their past experiences, um, because they did not have the best experience in school, because they experience, experience um, being ostracized, whether because of their culture or some other factor that they, they didn't have the best school experience, or as a parent, they have not had the best experience with other school officials in the past. And so sometimes they're not com- coming in a combative way to us. They're coming in a combative way of what needs to be changed in the educational setting. And I think all of us are doing this work because we know things need to change. So that's the other thing is that it's not, it's not necessary. I mean, unless there is a previous bad experience, it's not about you or your leadership. It is about the experiences they've had with education in the past. Yeah, I think that's a really important theme to emphasize to um, it's not about us. And being teachers where you are the heart of your classroom and it, it, you feel like it's all about you and as administrators as well, most of the times when there's a, a difficult conversation or something happening, it really isn't about us. It's others, all kinds of other stuff that's going on. And boy, if we can let go of the defensiveness and just say, okay, I hear you advocating for your child, or I hear your concern, and really listen, a lot of times we can, we can, again, we can get beyond the symptoms of the anger or frustration, and figure out what the real problem is. And that's true in the classroom and teaching, but also, you know, in our leadership situations. Yes, absolutely. So I think you talk about four barriers to creating partnerships. Do you want to dive in on those? For sure. Um, so the, the four are a narrow school-centric definition of engagement, limited training for educators, deficit beliefs about families, and then a lack of trust between schools and families. And so the first one, narrow school-centric definition of engagement, this is thinking of engagement as families being present at the school or families responding to the inquiries of the school, when we know that many families are involved in their child's education, whether or not we will ever see them at a school event. And so we need to realize that family engagement and students learning is broader than what takes place specifically at the school or at our invitation. Uh, There are many families who are providing a wealth of learning experiences for their children, but may not come to our event. And so we need to broaden our definition of what family engagement means. The next one is limited training for educators. Um, Research indicates this is something that almost no one receives free service learning about, um, either in preparing to be a teacher or frequently in preparing to be a school administrator either. Um, Interestingly, it's also something that education professors report that they don't know very much about um, because it's not something that's necessarily part of our preparation. And so 
that's really important to understand is part of what's a barrier is that we haven't been taught how we're supposed to engage families. Um, and so it's not anybody's fault. <laughs> we don't know what we're doing, but it's important to understand that there are things that we don't know that we should be doing about family engagement. Then also there are def deficit beliefs about families. This is another area that's thoroughly researched. Um, even teachers who would never say those kids will say those families. And in fact, there are interesting studies that indicate that teachers' perceptions of families become no more negative in their first year teaching because it is something that we indoctrinate one another into and being scared of families, being intimidated of families, of how families might challenge our authority or might be combative like we were talking about earlier. And so we tend to perpetuate these myths about negative experiences with families much more often than we talk about the positive positive things that families bring to the table. And then finally, there's a lack of trust between schools and families. And this can have to do with um, past marginalizing experiences, like I was talking about earlier. It also a contributing factor to lack of trust is the fact that our our school staff don't reflect the demographics of our students very often. And also just in general, when families have had negative experiences with schools and vice versa, it breaks down the trust. And so when that trust doesn't exist, that's why that's why you have confrontation. Yeah. And what's what's really interesting to think about as we think about these four factors is each they're they're kind of I don't know if circular is the right word, but each one impacts the other one. So that's right. because of our conception of of engagement. If parents don't show up to our events, then we think that reinforces our view that there's something wrong. There's a deficit in that family. So each of these right. things is touching the others, which on one hand makes it more complicated. On the other hand, maybe there's there are things that we can do and strategies we can use that have a, a fairly significant impact. Indeed. So, so when we talk about overcoming these barriers, um, do you wanna share some things that, that you've seen work? Um, let's start there. What are some things that work? Yeah, so um, the first thing that works um, is starting really at the teacher level. So we started with professional learning for our teachers, and it really had to be focused on some of these beliefs. And so in that way, it rel relates to other equity and social justice beliefs work um, and understanding that as we work on our beliefs and unpacking unconscious biases and things like that, that we're working on doing that for students, but also for families and, and how we think about families. That was a big realization for some of the teachers that I worked with. Um, and, and then also with some tools that are basically scripts. So like there is a culturally linguistically diverse family inventory that we used. Um, it's from Muhammad Khalifa's work and it worked really well because it was a script. It was um, the instruction was to call two or three families and ask them these questions. And they're questions like, what am I doing well for your child? What is something I could improve on for your child? And, you know, what should I do to treat your child more fairly? Questions like that. And what it did is it opened the door. Um, teachers reported that parents were sometimes put, put like on um they were caught off guard to be asked the question because they had never been asked a question like that, but they saw that the teacher really wanted genuine feedback. And so it opened up the opportunity for partnership and 
then the family did come to them later with concerns because they knew that th that teacher was open. And so when you do that, even with several teachers across the school, then it starts to change the tone for the school. It's also um, asking families really what they want from the school. It's important to realize that the school needs to be working towards community goals, not just looking at how families might support our goals. So frequently family engagement is looking at, um, we're going to have literacy night because we need parents to help us bring up our reading test scores. And like, that's not a bad thing, but what what is it that the family is wanting for their child and from the school? It's frequently something larger than test scores. And so starting to have some of those conversations in school improvement of how do we identify the community's goals for us and, and seeking that information through genuine communication, such as focus groups, rather than only a survey. Surveys are great, but um, for a lot of people, they have past experiences where they took surveys that were never responded to or it wasn't shared with them. That's another step that you can take. Share with families how you, what, the, what the outcomes of the survey were and how you responded to them so they know the data is being used versus something like a conversation in a focus group that seems a lot more tangible and a lot more like the families are being heard. Right. Okay. I, I want to jump on a soapbox and you're going to help me with sure. that. Yep. Um, community goals, uh -huh. you know, and I'm doing some work with our local district here and we have kids dying from overdoses, you know, kids that are fresh out of high school, 20 years old, 25 years old, starting families. It is a huge issue. Uh, real estate prices are skyrocketing here and families are getting squeezed out of housing. You know, um, jobs are always, always an issue. And there are so many real challenges in our communities, uh, mental health. And these things have touched our schools. They always touch our schools, but it's so much greater now. And, and I think we, we ignore those things and pretend that we can continue to do our job at our own peril. And I, we, we've got to find a way to support families during these difficult times. And I think looking at the school as part of the community more than just the community being part of the school is just so, so important. And it is a mind shift. And I appreciate you talking about that. Absolutely. And I think that it's really important to understand that if you want your school to be a community center, so why do we have events? We have events because we do want to see our families and we do want our schools to be community centers. And that's why it hurts us when nobody comes to our event, for example. Like, like why does some of this trust break down? Breaks down because it's hurtful. We worked hard on this event and no one came. If the event were surrounded around something related to a community goal, such as you were saying, um, addressing overdoses or addressing um, student drug use, or what can you do as a parent to monitor what your child might be getting exposed to, or those types of things, those events are well attended because they relate to community goals and what's important to the community. So even if you are thinking of 
planning an event, family engagement event, I would encourage you to start with that, what's really important to our community, and then start thinking of your school as a provider for those community events. And then how do you also link your school with other providers? There are healthcare providers who would want to help us on those things. We would want to partner with our community colleges to talk about job preparation. You know, local real estate agents might want to teach families something about you know, the process of buying a home or, or, you know, any sort of thing, but like, how do we provide, be a community center that provides community resources for our families is a really good way to make an event more successful. So I was working with an educator who was trying to build engagement with Hispanic families and, and reached out to someone in that community who then hooked them up with a banker that was really being friendly and open and trying to work with families in that community. So they brought, they brought the bank person in to have conversations and with the families and help. And a lot of these were immigrant families. So they didn't fully understand just how our whole complicated monetary system works. So, so in that case, yeah, they were connecting with the families with other resources. Yeah. And that's something important that you noted there too. There are leaders in our communities that have that information. And so another strategy that's very good for school leaders is who are those leaders? Um, And so for instance, in one of the schools that I work with, there is a large refugee population, um, uh, many students, especially from Syria. And so the school is able to identify um, through the refugee, like the refugee resettlement organization, like these are people who've been here the longest who've helped new families and then to connect with those parents but um, to be able to then better connect to all the parents um, because those are people who are sort of uh, who are not sort of who are exactly leaders in an informal way in that community and so that is another really good strategy for a school leader is to find those um, informal community leaders who have ability to reach others. Okay, I almost want to stop this podcast right now because you, I mean, you've given right off the bat three or four, I think, really concrete steps mm-hmm. to, to what we can do. And these, these aren't big, rah, rah, do this, do that, right? These are really actionable items. And I'm, I'm struck when we talk about starting with teachers and starting with beliefs. Mm-hmm. And back in episode 20, which aired, uh, I think, April 7th, we had uh, Gabby Grant on and we were talking about restorative practices in schools. And of course, Ian, okay, so what's the step? What can people do? And she said, change begins with you. And change begins inside in how we look at these things. And I think it's a message we don't really like to hear because it feels squishy. Well, how, you know, I know I want to go out and do something, but that inner work is doing something. And sometimes that's the hardest work. And if you can't flip your inner narrative about how you view families, then all the other stuff is, it won't be wasted, but it's not going to have the impact. That's true. Um, Because, and that was something that even came out in my focus groups with families. They can tell the difference. They know, (laughs) families know who, who respects them, who's coming from a place of genuine inquiry and who views them as a partner and who doesn't. Um, And so they know 
which stakeholders are seeking their input and which might be a waste of a waste of their time um, and or which schools um, families also know that about you know uh, this elementary school versus this middle school and this like this school seems more interested in my partnership than another school and so it, it is very genuine from the perspective of relationship building that if you haven't done that work and aren't really coming to the family as a partner then why would they bother to attempt to partner with you um because that's that's not how your you or your school are coming across to them and families are just as busy as educators um another example that i'll give is that frequently you know a common thing i see it's like the parent conference that is 15 minutes long on a teacher workday and the family is supposed to come to school and um, you know it's getting a little better because we offer zooms and meets and things like that but think about it like if a teacher were invited to a conference somewhere else for 15 minutes as a busy person would they clear their day to go to a 15 minute conference where someone is going to talk at you and not really ask for your input like no, <laughs> yet we're we're um, we're offended when families don't do that for us. So it's like, well, how do we make the conference valuable? How do we respect that they are also busy, and uh, that that doesn't mean that they don't care about their child's education. It means they couldn't clear that time of day for that conference because they're a busy person. So like, how do we think about things differently and make things like conferences worth their time. And one way to do that is to seek genuine input from them um, about what would help with the child's learning um, in a way that makes them know that, that you value their perspective. And you're likely to get that input if you have ahead of time reached out to families and use some of the tools that you've talked about already. And That's right. I love the idea of scripts. I'm really big on standard operating processes and I advocate if we have parent meetings, we should actually have a script for every parent meeting um, so that so that we have a process that we go through that honors the parent, that keeps emo our emotions dialed down and leads us to some kind of an ending. So I, I just think that scripts are so powerful because it just takes the thinking and the emotion out and we can just focus on listening instead of trying to think about what our next question is. Right. I would say the other thing that this requires on teachers' parts and where I think assistant principals play a huge role is teachers have to be willing to be vulnerable. Okay. We have to be willing to say, I don't, I don't have all the answers and I need your help and not, I need your help to get done what I need to get done, but I need your help in order for me to become better. Yes, and that's certainly something that assistant principals have to model for teachers, and uh, so that goes that goes that same way. Um, to extrapolate on the example that we talked about earlier, when you're in an IEP meeting and you, as the school leader, are the LEA, um, are you in front of a teacher, several teachers present, usually modeling that we need information from this parent, asking genuine questions that are supportive of partnership and, and like what is being modeled as an assistant principal. You also mentioned restorative practices. Um, 
some of the schools that I've worked with have brought families into their restorative circles. And uh, especially if you're thinking of using those from a discipline perspective, you need the family involved. And so what are you doing as an assistant principal that models that you view families as partners and then therefore models that for your teachers that they should view families as partners? Okay. Leanne, here's, here's what I'd like to do. Um, I'd like to recap again, the strategies that we just talked about and, and keep that focus on teachers and, and then, you know, how assistant principals can support those teachers. And then I want to make sure you come back again. And then we can talk about um, parent partnerships from a more um, systems school system structure sure. point of view. Would that work? Yeah, that would be great. Okay. All right. So I, again, I just think these are so, these are so powerful strategies because they're things that we can do right now. So for assistant principals listening out there, number one, work on teacher beliefs. And, and I think I'll ask you to maybe give us some resources that we can put on the website and people can go look at those a little bit, but thinking about overcoming those limitations of school centric definition of engagement, limited training for educators. So we need to get more informed really attacking those deficit beliefs about families and understanding when, A, when we have conflict sometimes with families, it's because they're advocating. And the other piece of that, I think, is when we don't hear from families, that doesn't mean that they're not discussing and working and trying to support their child's education. Um, And then that fourth thing being a lack of trust. So as assistant principals, if you can start engaging in some of the conversations and getting educational materials to your teachers um, and then yourselves, you're attacking those beliefs. So that's step one. And those are all doable, even, even in the times that we're in right now. Step two then is helping your teachers with providing them with tools. And one, one tool we've talked about is scripts. And so what's a script that you can then call and, and start to work through? Um, that's going to open the door. I think we had, oh, and then I think the third thing that you talked about was us finding out what the community goals are, not just what are our goals for the school. And, and maybe that's something where assistant principals can really take the lead as well. But your teachers are going to hear that when we talk to families, we're going to hear the commonalities. Have I recapped that? Yes. Okay. Yes. You've recapped that very well. Okay. Uh Anything else that you want to emphasize that kind of fits in in that box? Sure. Um, So the only uh, additional thing that I will add that's really important for teachers is to take time to make sure that families are apprised of the educational goals for their child. Um, They should be involved in setting them, honestly, but sometimes our goals for children come from standardized places um, as it results to assessments and other types of things. And so families really gave us strong feedback that they want to know what their child is learning whether or not they are making progress towards their goals. And sometimes that information is really hard to come by. So I'll give an example for our elementary assistant principals um, about this, but the state of North Carolina um, used to use M-Class for our basic literacy assessment. Then we switched to I-Station in the middle of the pandemic, and now we're back to M-Class. And so with all that going on, it can be hard if all that is sent home is the standardized report 
as one parent described it, educator gobbledygook, like, I don't know, <laughs> can my child read like they're supposed to as a second grader? <laughs> um, and so, like, how do we make sure that teachers are communicating that information because parents really want to know it? Um, and another example that parents gave is they just wish there was a syllabus. Like, even again for elementary, this is very common practice in secondary and especially in college, but like what are they learning this week so that you don't have to ask your child at the dinner table, what did you learn at school today? And the kid says nothing. Instead, you can say, oh, I think you talked about the life cycle of butterflies. What did you learn? And so just even understanding that that basic information, that's really important to parents to be able to know this is what my child is learning right now, and they are or are not making progress towards what's expected of them. It, it reminds me of something I did as a social studies teacher. And I always have to be careful because I'm not saying, oh, when I was a teacher, I did these great things. But but one thing that surprised me, I don't I don't remember how I came about doing it, but I actually started sending home with my students a list of discussion questions and asked them to have those with their parents or with another adult, right? Someone, someone in their lives and just have the discussion. And then, and then there was space for the parent to write like one sentence or two sentence reaction. And then I asked the kids to bring those back. And that was a piece of homework, right? Okay. Because they're reviewing concepts. And there was a lot of positive feedback that came from that. Yeah. A lot of positive feedback. And on something like that, if there were kids that really were in family situations where it was really difficult to have those conversations, we still could find ways to facilitate where they could have conversations with other adults, even if it was another teacher in the school at lunch. So we're not, we're not zeroing out kids to punish them for difficult home situations. Well, I'll say it will also help you learn which kids have those types of home situations, which in, in an elementary setting may come more natural. Teachers may already sort of know that, but certainly in the secondary setting where you have upwards of 150 students at one time and teenagers like to hide things from us anyways, you may not necessarily even know that unless you were giving an assignment that you know, goes towards family engagement, like you were saying, to even know, oh, this child doesn't necessarily have that family setting. And so I think that is a, a really great strategy of how do we, how do we set aside a way for the, for the family to be involved in the child's learning? They want to do that, but they look to us as educational experts to know um, how they should be doing that. Okay. And so as we start to wrap up then, for assistant principals out there, we know we need to start working on teacher beliefs. Do you want to say any, any more about, as an AP, how I can help my teachers? Yeah, so, I mean, a lot of that is going to be professional learning, um, and that's going to be doing things like unpacking unconscious biases and doing the, the work of diversity, equity, and inclusion learning. Um, the most important thing for APs to do there is to model, um, and that includes modeling the vulnerability of what it's like to do that work, to, to realize and be transparent that, like, in the past, we probably did some things that were wrong. Um, and we know now that we should do it differently. And so, like, for me, school leaders, it's most important to monitor I mean, to model that vulnerability um, and 
allow that space of a learning opportunity for teachers and not expect that teachers are automatically going to be able to do that after just one professional learning. Like this is something that takes a long time and a lot of work. And the most important thing for our school leaders to do is to model doing that work. Okay. And, and I think that that vulnerability piece is just so critical to that. Um, and it, it's, our, it's our vulnerability that I think makes us human and allows people to think about our actions and then maybe be more willing to engage them. Right, absolutely. And families know that. Families can sense the genuineness that comes from that or not. Yeah. And, and if you're assistant principal out there and you're listening and you're thinking, well, I don't know about this. Uh, again, it, it's going back to that mindset. I might be scared to be vulnerable because I'm used to having conflict, but as soon as I'm vulnerable and I open up and I stop fighting or I stop defending that maybe initially, or maybe it will take a few conversations, but that is going to change the tenor of the relationships. And I, and right. Families talk a lot too with each other. So if we can change that relationship with one or two families, that's, that's going to have a ripple effect as well. Indeed. Okay. So we're going to have you back on because we're then the next time we do this, we'll talk about some of the structural things that we can do within our school. Sure. But, but I want to wrap up today with a couple questions more directed for you. So first, what part of your own leadership are you still trying to get better at? Um, yes, well, so this uh, this exact equity and beliefs work is something that I'm, I'm still working on. Um, even, even though I've been doing it for years, I think it's something that we'll never stop working towards. Um, and so that is definitely something that I'm really working on. Another interest of mine that I'm, I'm really working on as well is to how do we, um, make some, some more of these practices systemic. And so like you were saying, like, what is the script? Um, I am really working hard to provide some more systemic resources for families around more equitable, I mean, for schools around more equitable family engagement. And uh, so, um, and also how does it relate to culturally sustaining pedagogy? And, and how do we draw that tighter link between the cultural knowledge that families have and, and the teachers who need to have that knowledge in order to provide um, instruction that's really not just culturally relevant, but culturally sustaining. It's constant work, isn't it? Absolutely. If listeners could take away just one thing from today's podcast, what do you want them to walk away with? Um, I think it is a partnership orientation. So I think it is working in your own beliefs of how you are approaching families. And so are you seeing family as an adversary? Are you seeing family as um, a client who needs our help? Or are you seeing the family as a partner who has valuable information to provide to us? Hmm. Is there anything else you want listeners to take away today? Um, uh, the other takeaway I would say is that this is not, um, this is work that can have a big impact without a lot of work. So this is not like, um, or a lot of to-do items, a lot of tasks. Um, you're doing a lot of internal work, a lot of beliefs work. You're doing um, 
things to build relationships, but they are inherently naturally part of our work anyways, especially for assistant principals. Uh, you, you are on the phone with families very often anyways. And so how you're approaching that is a change in your own practice that doesn't necessarily require more time or more task. I love it. It's not more. It's the work we're doing already. We can just do it better. That's right. Oh, great. A lot of people, I hope, just breathe a sigh of relief. <laughs> I don't have to do <laughs> yes. more. I'm already doing this. <laughs> yes. And uh, will you give? Will you be able to provide me with some links to some resources that we can then share out with with people? Absolutely. Yes, for sure. I'll definitely provide the culturally, linguistically diverse family inventory that I mentioned, um, because that's, that's really, um, it's, it's four questions, but it's a really good start. Um, I can also provide the questions for community leaders, which come from Green's community-based equity audit process. Um, that's a really good one. And then um, a couple books that we studied with our teachers, Just Schools by Anne Ishimaru and Natural Allies by Soon Hong are definitely good reads for how we do some of this beliefs work. Great. So on the website, we'll have links to all of that. All of that. Thank you. Leanne, this has been great. Thanks so much for taking time to share today. Yes, you're welcome. I'm glad I could join you. Yeah. Okay. Well, if you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe and rate this podcast. I'm always trying to improve the show. So if you have feedback for me, please email me at frederick at frederickbusky.com. If you'd like more content tailored towards the needs of assistant principals, you can head over to my website at frederickbusky.com. That wraps up today's show. I'm Frederick Busky, and I hope you'll join me next time for the Assistant Principal Podcast.